0: welcome back to episode uh, 21 I lost count last time and I haven't quite got it back but I think it's 21 how you doing cat
1: I'm doing well how are you
0: um, heads some better
1: yeah you've been having this cold for oh, a long time now
0: yeah my, you might be able to still tell my voice is a little rough um, it's not um, it's not real bad but Actually, I'm feeling a whole lot better. It's just I don't know, my cough is worse and I'm still waking up with a head full. So, uh, I'm not sure what's going on there, but uh yeah, so as long as I'm feeling better, uh, the rest of it's just it'll take care of itself. So, um so we missed our uh our Monday podcast and Teddy noticed I was all impressed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, we've can almost consistently have been doing it on Mondays, with the rare occasion of like a holiday or just illnesses or you know pre-scheduled plans. And it, they we usually record on the Mondays and get it out just very soon after. But it, this last Monday, yeah, it's just it snowed where I was and the pressure dropped and it gave me just an absolute killer migraine. And so I'm like, I listen, like I can podcast, but I won't be in it like a hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and I'm just like, you know what? We're just doing this for fun anyway. It's not supposed to be a chore, so why don't we do it when we're both feeling better? Um. So yeah. Um. So session twenty-one, we. Um. I was glad to get back to the action. We picked up, uh, leaving last chance to get back on the Silver Wind and go around Skyfall Peninsula. To the March Marsh of Desolation, and Keelan got filled in all, all the events that were, that surrounded the things while uh, I was absent the previous week. Um, and the one thing that I found out was that um, the Wailing Giant had been sent back to the tents of Rushime in Stormreach. And then it kind of popped up a second, kind of a side quest for us to visit the hill giant chieftain, king, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were given some guidance by Harshnag that said maybe we shouldn't stir that hornet's nest yet, that we should go on our main quest first and then circle back to that. What would you think?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much exactly how it boiled down. Um, we just got the, like, what I'm calling part two of the first side quest done. Uh, or part two active. Um, and, yeah, it was just trying to... Because, um, you know, where the where this Chief Gua is located is very, like, out of the way, kind of. Because we're kind of going, like, along... Inside on more eastern inside of Zendric going down the, the Hydra River. And, you know, there's points of interest along our path down to the very southeastern tip of the mountain ranges down there. And this quest is more, like, w- western. It's still inland, but it's western. So not only would we be, like, kind of making a point to go out of our way over there, but it's also... Um, it's also a quest that is kind of unfinished, if not maybe finished. Like I don't, I don't exactly know how it'll run out. I'm assuming we're going to come like on our return trip, we'll come back and hit out that side quest and finish it as a party. So I'm not too worried about whether or not we're going to do it or not.
0: Yeah. I think that that's a fair assessment. Um, so Felonius Finks, he's the, uh, what is it? Mage right. I can, I want to call it some kind of mancer for some reason. Um, and he made the charms that keep, that was keeping the RV and, um, uh, Stegless or Richter scales, uh, small. And, but once the, these charms got broken, they would be big for the rest of the, the journey. So the entire way through this, I was tr- I, I was of the opinion that we should keep them small for as long as possible going down the Hydra. Because once they're big, we're on foot for the rest of the way. Is that kind of how you saw it too?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think the Chocobos are shrunken inside the RV, um, so they're like super mini-mini. Um, and then Richter scales is shrunken as well with the RV. So yeah, um, it's pretty much just, just pretty much how you said it is like, keep them small as possible for as long as possible. And cause once they're big, that's just, we're, they're setting the pace at this point instead of us setting the pace
0: and spoiler alert, they got big before the session ended,
1: right? Um, weren't we I, he-
0: weren't we headed east for the airship?
1: I don't know if they got big or not. I didn't catch
0: that. Okay, I hope they didn't, but I thought they did. Um, and why did I think that? Uh, oh. Maybe they didn't. Uh, maybe maybe I just. But I thought that when we started going east to find the airship, that um, oh. they all uh, we broke those seals. I
1: do not recall if we did or did not. Well, I hope I'm the- wrong uh,
0: because like I said, I'd like to keep them, uh, fun sized all the way down the Hydra. Um, and, oh, um, the funny thing that, uh, Finks said, he wanted us to give him a, uh, five swords review. <laughs> uh, like, uh, you know, would use his services again, that sort of thing. um, So, uh, while we were on the silver wind, Teddy asked us what we were filling our time with as we, uh, went around the peninsula. Keelan decided she was going to, uh, try her hand at fishing because she wanted to make sushi. And I rolled, um, a 24 on a survival check and then added two for guidance So 26 and so Keelan caught the biggest tuna that anybody on the boat had ever seen and ended up that you had to help me get it on the boat. And, uh, you were like trying to chunk on me the whole time.
1: Yeah. Teddy made, um, roll a constitution saving throw. Um, and I think I, I passed the DC. I rolled, relatively well like a 15 or 16 or something but yeah it was it was mainly to keep tapenet from keeping her lunch inside of her and not just trying to help you pull in the fish and then just all of a sudden it's just that's just not good
0: for anybody <laughs> so um uh teddy liked the fact that i um that i did you know something with the time on the boat so he gave me a, a useless inspiration because i already had one um and uh, that's going to be a recurring theme because <laughs> I, for whatever reason, I just don't think to use them most of the time. As a matter of fact, I think the last one I used, Portia said, Hey, inspiration. I'm like, Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and that's been sessions ago. I just don't think about them. Um, I, I will say no inspiration is useless.
1: It's just, it just happened that you already have one. Cause I, I, I'm always I'm a fiend for inspirations and that's why last session I did a I went out of my way and did an extra RP about Tabane's motion sickness and got an inspiration. Um I already had one as well, but you know, I, it always feels good to do something and you get an inspiration whether it's like um you uh think of something smart or you RP your character very well or, you know, or Teddy's just feeling generous and wants to give us an inspiration. I don't know.
0: Uh, well, yeah, yeah, and I, I don't want to say useless because sure it's a feel good, but when you already have one, you can't stock them. I need to start giving them away because, uh, I think Prue and Portia goes through theirs like candy. (laughs) So I might as well give it away if I'm not using it.
1: Oh, I'm up, I'm up there too. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, like dexterity saving throws or something to keep Tavany from like falling into the water. And I fail and I'm just like, no, I'm not going in the water inspiration. And I still fail anyways. <laughs>
0: that's, that's the thing. Um, now, uh, contrary wise, I think to use my lucky feet, which is kind of same, same um, really where I need to start thinking about using my inspiration is gaining the 10 on initiative because, yeah. because I Always roll bad on initiative. I think I've been in two fights that I had something over a thirteen. I
1: I used that inspiration for the Teddy's home roll to gain a plus ten do uh initiative once and I got I immediately got the inspiration back because I was the first one to use it and slash or remember it.
0: Yeah. Um so uh let's see. So, yeah, caught the tuna, made sushi. It was awesome. Um, then, um, so once we got around the peninsula, the marsh started to kind of impede the Silver Wind's progress because the wind was against us and now there's a lot of soil in the water. So um, we uh, set out onto kind of a flat-bottom river-type boat that could hold all of us and probably a couple more people um comfortably, but um Harshnag couldn't fit. And so he was just walking, wading through the water and uh carrying Richter scales in our R V. Um and let's see. Uh yeah, Belmare had a uh river vessel prepared for us and uh Keelan spent her time rowing and I, I kept meaning to say something to Lars. That, um, you know, Hey, left our weight equipment back home. So I'm getting my row, my rows in. <laughs> so, um, and, um, uh, you've been worthless with that because, uh, of your seasickness. Yep.
1: It's, and, it's not just seasickness. If we're in the air, it will happen too. Or on a train. There are trains in Eberon. So, the only time it won't happen is if she's on a horse, and I'm guess I'm gonna extend that to a chocobo as well, because <laughs> i I feel like they're common enough that it'll be okay. But so far, it's seasickness has been the primary thing because we've been in a port town and we've been on boats and whatever, so it, it's primarily come up. But you know, there is the sea of the air. And airships and trains, too. So if those ever come up, it'll happen then, too.
0: So it's motion sickness, but only uh, certain motions. Like uh, horses are fine. It's things she can't control. Oh.
1: Like she can't control, like, gusts of wind or the shaking and ricketing on a train or the waves uh, crashing up against a boat. And, you know, it's, it's any physical movement she can't control.
0: Well, then, uh, Keelan's going to roll a persuasion check to make you realize that you can't really control a horse.
1: (laughs) Yes. And that's fair. That's, that's true and fair and all, but I've done the research and, um, I've heavily, um, gotten Tom and A's backstory, uh, seated in, um, Valinar and Valinar is infamous for the horses. So I feel like she comes from a place that's infamous about their cavalry and their horses. And yet she can't even ride a horse. Yeah. Um, but that being <laughs> said, that's like, you can still kind of control a horse.
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly give them strong suggestions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, we watch a lot of horse racing in my house. I am not the biggest fan, but my wife grew up, having horses and I had horses, uh, my family did too. But I mean, if, if it's a triple crown race, my wife and my daughters are planted in front of the TV watching hours and hours of coverage for a race that lasts two freaking minutes, which is silly to me, but I will watch the race. I'm interested in that. I just don't need to see 12 hours of commentary beforehand. Um, and so the jockeys that Run those races are beasts. They are so amazing. They're nothing but gristle and muscle. They may be half my height, but I think they could kick every bit of my ass. Mm -hmm. Um, They are so strong. What they do is it's pretty amazing. So, uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, All right, going on to um. Let's see. Oh, we found out that we were in this territory. Uh, The Hydra was kind of controlled by the Sulatar and Volkir. And uh, they could be aggressive uh, towards us. Um, The Volkiri are more about uh, keeping foreigners out because they think that we just take advantage of their lands. Uh, But the Sulatar will, you know capture other sentient creatures for like blood rituals and stuff um, and then we actually got to see um, Portia's new armor for the first time or well, at least the first time that I uh, laid eyes on it well,
1: yes it- Um, spoiler alert uh, Portia has multiclassed into a fighter And when we all were talking about our new armor, um, it didn't click to me at the time, but Portia said she was wearing half plate. Um, And I don't know much about an artificer, um, but I'm assuming they can't wear heavy armor. So... When she finally, um, later on in the session, she finally said, like, oh, hey, I'm multiclassing. I was trying to keep it a secret to, like, surprise you all, but, you know, I want to use my, um, my fighting style and get extra damage on this attack. Um, that's when she revealed that she was multiclassing to a fighter. But this was the first clue to that she was multiclassing as a fighter. Um, because I, I'm pretty sure an artificer can wear, like, light to medium armor, but not heavy.
0: But it isn't half-plate medium armor?
1: I thought I don't know I thought it was heavy.
0: I think half plate is the heaviest medium armor. And um because uh because full plate is heavy. I'm looking it up. So, heavy
1: armor is ring mail chain mail splint and plate. So you are correct. This yeah. is half plate is the highest for medium.
0: Okay. So,
1: so um, take it back,
0: everything I just said. But maybe artificers can only use light. Could be. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I have I, I have steadfastly refused to read up on those things. Um, yep. So because uh, it, it's more interesting to discover it in-game. Um, yeah. I think that uh, once this game wraps up, I am going to do a deep dive into the character classes, though, and because I'm fascinated by what all they can do. Uh, so, yeah, we got to uh, kind of uh, go over what our various armors looked like. Portia had her half plate uh, made of mithril steel, and that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. That probably made her put a mortgage on her shop. Um, mm. so, um, and wearing her, uh, Tev lives t-shirt under her armor, um, mm-hmm. and then said that, uh, her armor was painted in the style of the Umbergen, uh, with bioluminescent patterns on it. So that sounds pretty cool. Uh, and then Keelan's armor is, um, looks just like simple black steel with the image of the silver flame, um, on the chest. And I wear the Cloak of the Manta Ray over um, over the shoulders. And then you described yours with more of a high fantasy look.
1: Yes. Um, I wanted it to, I didn't want it to be just like, oh, we got, um, what did we get? We got full plate armor.
0: Yes. We I didn't in, want it to just
1: be like just, oh, it's full plate but a different color or whatever. And it was like, you know, we're playing D. Eberon's like pseudo modernist got the steampunky aesthetic. But I'm like, I really want like a high fantasy, like extravagant looking armor. So I'm like, what's the most I can think of? And I'm like, I don't know. Um so I'm just like, you know, um she's a paladin. She does radiant damage with her smites. Um so I think um you know, there's all stuff about, like, holy water and holiness and whatever. So I'm like, you know what? It's going to be, like, a stark bright white. And, you know, that might make me a target, but I don't care. <laughs> uh, It's going to be as bright white as possible with, like, some black undertones to offset it. You know, just make it look like... The white stands out even more. And then I really, really wanted to have, like, spiky pauldrons on my shoulder. I wanted to add a little fur, too, but I'm like, I don't want to get too much into it. But I'm like, I I especially want the spiky pauldrons. Um, So I got that um, as well. And I described it as it's not, like, very bulky armor. Um, It's very, like, form-fitting and protective Like it's still very maneuverable and, you know, stuff like that. So it's not like big, clunky, chunky armor.
0: Well, my idea was to make my armor look as plain as possible. I still wanted the image of the silver flame on it, but I wanted it to look as plain as possible. So it's less likely to be uh, scrutinized by anybody.
1: I wanted mine to stand out.
0: Sure. Um, definitely. Um, if that you know what, uh, the first time that um your armor standing out draws an extra attack towards you, then uh success, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean it's better better
1: for me to take a hit than um dear old Winifred.
0: Yeah, right. So uh which man, did he did he have a rough time in uh the encounter down the road. Um Okay, so um the first place that we found uh to camp was a very small island and uh so small that after we set up a couple of tents, some of us still had to sleep on the boat. Um we took three watches and uh I so uh Portia wasn't in uh, she wasn't in attendance. So, um, or I'm sorry, Prue was not in attendance. So, um, my only, um, stipulation was that I thought, uh, that she and Keelan should be split up because we both have very high passive perception. So, um, putting us on different watches would at least have one of us able to, um, you know, have a high modifier. Um, um, And so let's see. Keelan took last watch with Lars, I think. Yes. And who took the other watches?
1: Portia and mask took the first watch and the second middle watch was top and a
0: Okay. And during one of the watches after it got dark, um, we, our watch members noticed there were like, almost like wicker balls up in the tree that was on our island. And, um, the Dro and the grungs use these things to hold supplies when they travel through the marsh. And, uh, they have them designated as either kind of a help yourself thing or a hands off. This is our clan type thing but we couldn't read it. We didn't know which was which, but we left them alone. And on the second watch, we saw like three pairs of eyes, right? hmm And, but they didn't bother us. But then on, uh, Keelan on third watch, when Keelan and Lars were watching, um, one of, they, they actually decided to approach us and, um, Let's see. We heard like a wrestling in branches. And then um, I nailed a perception roll pretty good. I think that my total was over 25. And so I heard one of them drop down. They were speaking under common, which is a language that Keelan speaks. Um, so I was able to communicate with them. Um, <clears throat> they wanted to know what we were doing there. I told them. Um, essentially we were traveling through their lands to go to the, uh, is it the blue spire? The blue spine, I
1: think blue spine peaks.
0: Yeah. So, and, um, you know, that we weren't there to, you know, for them or anything like that. And they were very friendly and traded us some supplies, um, gave us, uh, uh, some kind of steaks. Uh, what kind of meat was it? Do you remember?
1: I did not catch what meat it was.
0: Salted, herbed meat. Smells like it had been smoked. It was like a foot-long slab. And I traded a large cut of the tuna that I caught for it. And then Portia threw in some Zendricky nuts. And uh, when uh, she entered the scene... um the visitor uh, noted that we traveled with Shadowkin. And so I think that bought us some credibility. Um, but then uh, they disappeared after giving us a warning not to trust Harshnag, which, um, you know, they mistrust all giants. I think that's pretty much the, the shtick. Um, and then... um. Gave Keelan and Portia an inspiration for the encounter. That's inspiration number two that was wasted on me this game because <laughs> I still hadn't used it. Um, let's see, and then um, let's see what else was there. Uh, oh, we
1: got, a, we got a lot of drow lore about um. All I think there's three different, three that I know of um, from playing the game and what Teddy has told us. Don't know if there's any more, but there's the Sulatar who attacked um, Stormreach and that three session fighting we had about a month ago. Um, The Volkuri who seem are more like the average faces of the Drow. Like when people think Drow, I think um, people think of them. They're more of like your their jungle. Um, jungle drow and like they they, they they don't, they like live on the surface and then there's who um, there's what um, Portia is and the Umbergen and I believe they live underground and um, have their colonies or whatever sort of living habitat they have down there like cities or villages or whatever um, and so we got a little bit more um, lore about them. I think about their gods and whatnot and some stuff like that.
0: And I actually think more of, when I think of Drow, I think of like the Umbergen, the underground dwellers. That's what I think of too. And that's only because
1: other than, well, Tom and I didn't wake up last night. So um, other Portia and her fellow, um, her brother Issa, Drow and all his band, they're the only drow Tamane has seen. So, as far as she knows, well, other than the Sulathra that attacked the city, but um, yeah, she just when when I think drow and when Tamane thinks drow, it's Portia,
0: and then uh, but we did find out that, um, let's see, um, they are rare good cooks. Um, the, uh, they make this, uh, Vulgarian noodles. So Keelan's got to get that recipe. Um, and, um, uh, Teddy said that they tasted like Szechuan noodles, but were even more spicy. Um, so we finished that. Um, I call it a success, a successful encounter. We didn't have to fight. Um, and then went on down the, uh, the river, uh, for the purposes of, uh, Prue being, uh, missing, she was riding like on Harshtag's shoulder or being carried or however that worked and was well behind. I think Teddy said like five combat rounds away from where our, um, our little skiff was. And of course, that's when we had our encounter.
1: Yeah, I, I always find it so funny that like five combat rounds can be anywhere between like probably like 15, 20 minutes to an hour. But when you think of like combat rounds in game, like it's happening at um, like real time, like in D&D, like it's supposed to be
0: like 30 seconds. Right. Yeah, Exactly but <laughs> it just takes us all like an hour it to takes make us an hour hour and a half to get through that 30 seconds but in
1: but in reality it's just like 30 seconds went by so i, I don't know why i just find that funny because it's just like yeah prue and Harshnag are like five combat turns away and i just go fuck they're that far away but then if you <laughs> then and you're in the combat there's just like oh they're only like 30 seconds away
0: yeah and actually um probably a little bit closer than uh five combat rounds on land because Harshnag was having to wade through all the water. Yeah. So, um anyway, we were attacked uh, and it was described interestingly to me and I don't know why I pinpoint on these things. Um but it was described interesting enough to me as a as an ambush. And That is, uh, so as soon as I heard that, I'm like, okay, so Teddy says, this is an ambush. That means somebody knew we were coming. That's exactly, that's exactly what I thought as soon as he said ambush. Now, could he have meant, uh, that the lizard men were just laying an ambush for anyone who happened to be coming along? Sure. But that's not what came to my head first. What came to my head first is somebody ratted on us, told these people where we were going, and we're going to face this kind of crap the whole way to the mountains.
1: That could be true. Um, I didn't think of it that way, but I certainly have. And then cross-referencing your suspicion with Porsche's notes, at the end of the encounter... Um, Teddy told Portia that the clan that attacked us is usually more peaceful um, and, like, docile than instead of, like, attacking and turning into bandits and whatnot. So, with that knowledge, probably someone I don't know if, like, a Stormlord ratted on us, or if it's some Joe Schmo that ratted on us, or if it's just... Chief Gua or someone went to these lizard people and it's just like, Hey, start doing bandits or I'll kill you or something. I don't know, but it's certainly our presence has been made of note now.
0: So that was, uh, I didn't know if that was my paranoia working over time, but just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> so, um, that's, uh, Yeah, that was just the first thing that hit me when, uh, Teddy said ambush. Um, so, uh, combat ensues. There were a number of regular lizard men. Then there was like a, um, chieftain style lizard person. And then also a shaman. And there was this huge croc had like hundred HP or maybe a little more. Uh, and they all attacked, and so the uh, the croc got to the boat. Uh, what did the croc go first, or did the um, or did the chieftain guy go first? I think it was the chieftain first. So uh, made it up onto the boat and immediately starts attacking Winifred, <laughs> and Winifred took. A lot of damage in this fight. Uh, an inordinate amount of damage, because every it seemed like every time that uh, another another enemy made it to the boat, especially when the croc made it there, we were having to make saves to stay on our feet and in the boat. And we were not having great success. Keelan had some great success in the beginning, but eventually got tossed into the water too. So I w- while I would have traded... Um, masked places um, I, w- I was busy in the water <laughs> and so were you and so it was just about everybody else
1: yeah, um, deck saves are not having a strong suit
0: yeah, or mine so um, anyway, the um, uh, the oh, the shaman was using a spell that we hadn't seen, I don't think we had seen anybody use it yet, uh, heat metal. In second edition, this was a nuisance of a spell to fighters, because, you know, like, mages really didn't wear metal armor. Maybe clerics, um, but um, uh, and also first round in second edition was the metal heating up hey, it's getting warm in here, no damage, no, you know, nothing like that. And conditions could uh, alter how many rounds it took in order to start doing damage. Um, Like if you were, for instance, immersed in water or a snowbank or something like that, then the metal was going to heat up slower. But in 5th edition, heat metal, if you're wearing metal, it's hot and burning you, the round that the spell gets cast. And I think that's much more useful than the, than the slow burn in second edition. Um, it is thankfully a concentration spell. And the first person that had it used on them was you. Is that right?
1: Yep. I, uh, didn't even get a chance to attack or anything. I was on the boat uh, cracker rocks came Caused the boat to shake Fell into the water And then heat metal was uh, applied upon Tabine
0: So I actually thought that uh, Because having not read the spell um, I, was, I was thinking Oh, Tabine going to be fine Almost completely immersed in water Oh no <laughs> He started taking damage right away And So I was like, huh uh, That may be a spell I need to take a look at um but uh so who is it that disrupted the shaman on when you had the heat metal cast on you the first time it was me with Uh, the eldritch blast
1: yes with an eldritch blast
0: for context
1: um if Uh, I'm just going to read it straight from the wiki dot. If a creature holding or wearing the object takes damage from it, the creature must exceed a constitution saving throw or drop the object if it can. If it doesn't drop the object, it has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks until the start of your next turn. So, Heat Metal is casted upon Tabne, had disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls. Really not much I can do other than take off the shiny brand new armor in the water. Uh, so that wasn't happening.
0: Yeah. You know how long it takes to take off full plate? Yeah. It's like 10 minutes or something. Yeah. So, you know, the 30 seconds that the other guys are away, you need 10 minutes to get out of yeah. that armor, which is exactly why I wanted something quicker to get in and out of.
1: Yeah. You got your, uh, magical girl transformation armor. Still a little jealous about it. Uh, <laughs> Or trade. Uh no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not playing um my Tabaxi, so my curiosity is very satiated. <laughs> uh but yeah, so I was just like, Well, I can hop on the boat, I'll get behind the the war chief um crocodile, I'll give Winifred advantage on his attack rolls, but I want this spell off of Tabanay immediately. And I'm like, Okay, um, I can't get a melee range, Um, had to make an uh, an athletics check to get back on the boat, passed, got up on the boat, and then I'm like, well, it's at disadvantage, but I can roll twice, Um, it's a shaman, so it probably doesn't have crazy AC, Um, so I'm like, you know, I'll take my two Eldritch Blasts um, at the shaman. And then Teddy's just like, well, some other stuff happens and you have disadvantage. I'm like, Teddy, and or I think Winifred spoke up and he's like, Tommy's already at disadvantage, so it doesn't matter yes. what more you <laughs> throw at her. She's already on disadvantage.
0: Pile on 12 more disadvantages, still disadvantage.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. So I threw out my first beam of Eldritch Blast, and I actually, with disadvantage, I got like a 22. I landed that sucker. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, which was a huge shock to me, um, and of course rolled min damage a five Sag. Um, so but it broke concentration at least um, because I think you did a, a Constitution save and rolled a nine, um, so that beat or that missed the DC of ten, um, and so broke Constitution on the heat metal for Tabne, and then I just. Slung the other Eldritch Blast at him just cause. Uh, I missed that one, and that was pretty much the all Tapani did. That was significant in the entire fight. Oh, yeah, no, but I that really was pretty
0: bad. significant because you got rid of the heat metal. Yeah. Well, yeah. off of you, and on to me. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the um, yeah, the following round.
1: But, yeah, it the, was the following round. Um, you casted Spirit Guardians, and then Teddy's just like, Well, the Shaman clearly chose wrong and is going after Keelan now because he sees the Spirit Guardians.
0: Um, so that round was uh, bad for me um, and uh, made worse by uh, the Heat Metal. Um, so the, the chieftain that was on the boat. Swung his big-ass weapon. Um can't remember what Teddy called it. He said it did the damage of a morning star. Uh, and I don't remember the name of it. Anyway, uh, so it, uh, think of a uh, paddle, like a, a boat paddle, with uh, teeth all the way around it. And so swung that at me and crit so i'm like i'll lucky that and teddy rolled <laughs> another crit right behind it after i lucked the roll uh so i got waylaid by the uh by that morning star i had to make a constitution saving throw to keep concentration on spirit guardians which i had upcast at fourth level so i get 48 damage and and, um, I missed my save. So I luckied again. Now I've used two of my three points in the sing, in a single round, uh, that made me pass. Um, but then I also got hit with a heat metal and, uh, but I, I passed my save on that. Um, so, and Teddy was just like, I think he was reconsidering his position on lucky <laughs> He's, he's like, I think you should probably only be able to use one of those points around, like, but I let you have it. So I'm going to, so, and, uh, for the record, I would be completely fine with that. I I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's the most broken feet in the game. Um, but, um, and, and if Teddy wants to make that rule where, uh, you can only lucky once in any given round, I'm, I'm completely cool with that. Um, so, um, yeah, I was taking, uh, some decent damage, uh, but spirit guardians was doing good damage to the crocodile and to, um, the chieftain, uh, and it was going to do so much more and Portia sonic blasted like, uh, the three guys that were on the rear of the boat, they were going to get spirit guardian <laughs> and She blasted them, and they all fell back too far, so it was out of Spirit Guardian's reach. I'm like, damn it! Um, But uh, certainly it was effective. It worked out. So, Um, and then, uh, but even though I was still on the boat and doing Spirit Guardian damage, who did they focus on? Winifred. Yes, the whole time. And Winifred just taking damage after damage. And I was thinking I was probably going to have to start healing on Winifred. But then, uh, once again, I'm like, um, maybe I need to let Winifred go to zero and fall so that they swap targets before I do bring him up. Um, and, okay. and, and once again, um, a healing word, if I am able to heal seven points of damage, that crocodile would chew through seven points of damage in nothing flat. But if a, if Winifred went down to zero, that seven points will get him right back up on his feet and back into the fight. So doing the seven points prior to Win- Winifred or mass reaching zero, I think would have been less effective
1: i i will say i am a pseudo healer slash bell caster as a paladin and i do not ever want to be a healer in D Um <laughs> i enjoy playing healers so much like any game if i can be essentially a paladin um which is where I get my love of Paladins. If I can do some melee damage, take a hit, and then heal it after everything's all said and done, oh, that just bread's my butter. Or butter's my bread. Um, Sorry. Hey,
0: there's no no wrong way to do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I absolutely love that healing and like i even and it's more so you know it can be rooted back to like oh you have bad aim or just um you can't shoot well so you don't choose like dps classes and you choose to heal it's like no man i love seeing that hp bar go up i like seeing the progress go up i love healing so much but in D no nah. <sighs> no don't no especially when it's other people's characters on the line and they put in so much time and effort and into it. And then it's just like you're like, I would never want to be in your position as a cleric and just have other people's lives in your hands. And you can be like, I control if you live or die. Like if I have some control on it that I don't even like that much, like Tabane has healed once in the entire campaign. I think she has healed once and it was a lay on hands on uh, Gorodon in that three session fighting for Stormreach, um, and that's like the only time she has healed. And I just like I can heal, but I don't know if I want to. And it's just like, and it's just like what you've been saying. Like you can heal for seven damage, but that seven damage is going to be as quickly as gone as it you just got it, or you can bring him back with
0: seven um, healing points. And it's like I don't want to make that choice. So the uh, if it were. If it were a, if this were second edition, there's no choice. You just give them the extra hit points so they don't hit zero because that's going to take them out of the fight for a good long time. But in, but the way that fifth works, um, it almost makes more sense to uh, go into crisis mode and get people back on their feet after they fall because the number of hit points that you're going to be, especially at higher levels, the number of hit points you're going to be giving these people before they fall is fairly insignificant. Yeah. So, uh, for instance, if you got a, if you've got, let's say, Mask went down to one hit point, and I gave him seven more, that croc was going to bite him for 20 Mm-hmm. So that extra seven did nothing for him, but waste a spell slot for me. Once he's down, though, and I use the same spell, he's instantly back on his feet with seven hit points and taking another turn. So that's the... Every fight's different, you know. Uh, Maybe, uh, just like we saw in the fight for Stormreach, when you had a, a, a very high damaging character on the battlefield, you wanted them up and in the fight all the time. So maybe at that point bolstering hit points is the way to go so it's case by case it
1: certainly is i've seen both sides of the coin and so i certainly know where what you're talking about and where you're coming from um unfortunately you missed a session um for um fighting in the forge light with Gorodon and fighting the two fire giants and a whole bunch of jobbers and we were just Lars was a healing machine and we just kept Gordon alive because if he went down, we were fucked.
0: Isn't um, Lars just kind of a machine machine? I mean, yes. So he can, he can heal like that and then cast a fireball. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Lars is
1: the Jack of all trades, a never ending source of amusement and, and, um, uh, surprise
0: so um i do want to say okay so this to me was the difference of our party with prue our party without prue we were in this fight and we took care of it pretty well other than winifred taking a ton of damage we got out of it without too much damage taken um however the difference is some of them got away. And I think if Prue had been there, they would not have. Yeah.
1: Um I think the changing of the tide was um and I only know this because I played um Belle Mare um for the fight for Storm and I could see some of the abilities she was and uh or if she had, sorry and i could and i saw an ability because she's a changeling so i got a little information on this and they have an ability it's i can't remember the name of it but they have an ability that causes fear within others if they change forms or um you know like they, they just be become a changeling and um i think that's what winifred did in this fight is i think there was one point where winifred just changed his his shape and his
0: looks to be um oh
1: i can't remember the chieftain
0: into the chieftain guy
1: yeah yeah but when for a and i think i don't know i don't think it was explicitly said that he did this but i think that's what he uses. He used his changeling ability to cause uh, fear in others. Interesting, And, and that's why everyone ran away because the, the, the crocodile chieftain ordered a retreat. He's like, ah, they've got changelings or it was like, get back and retreat because we even mentioned it. Like as we were killing him, um, he's like, Hey, I've re- we're retreating. And, and you and Portia were saying like, yeah,
0: you're retreating,
1: but you didn't surrender. There's a difference. There
0: is a difference. <laughs> Um, we're, falling back is just, uh, fighting another day. Surrendering is all right. We give up. Um, yeah. so yeah. Um, so, um, the shaman wisely stayed at range, which I think Portia would have completely feasted on. Mm-hmm. Um, so sure. we killed the croc, we killed the leader and we killed all but, what, maybe three of the jobbers? We got two
1: or Portia got two. No, it was Lars who fireballed and killed two. I think the third one escaped.
0: Okay, so um but um so the the shaman survived, one of the guys from the stern of the ship survived. Was there any of the others from I thought there was at least one or two that was still in front of us? There might have been one other, but I know those two for a fact retreated. So, uh, the shaman might still be a, uh, a target, but, uh, and I was intending to get close to the shaman. Um, I, so I, once I got knocked into the water and got the hood of my, uh, cloak up, I had a 60 speed in the water and I was about ready to go chasing that shaman, but then, um, uh, mask did. Uh, their thing and freaked out the chieftain and he called a, a retreat and then, uh, died to, um, a bombard of, <laughs> of attacks. Uh, so we killed two of the big threats. Um, the third one escaped in the form of the shaman. And then there were, uh, you know, like you said, a couple of jobbers left. Um, once again, I think that uh, we would have uh, wiped the board if Prue had been there. Now, having said that, um, it's possible that Teddy would have had a few more opponents for us had Prue been in on the fight as well. So that's always, you know, a possibility that he took a look at the encounter and said, eh, "Without Prue, this needs balanced." So uh, could be, yeah. So
1: that also says a lot
0: for Sure. that if
1: she's not there, the whole encounter needs to be rebalanced.
0: Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, so that was an interesting fight. Um, and let's see, well, after that, we essentially, uh, made landfall. And um, we were going to be looking for the airship that um, was supposed to be just south of the uh, Pyramid thing. Uh, what's it called? Pyramid of Eben Ebonflame, Ebon Flame, yeah. And um, so <laughs> we, um, uh, oh, I used my inspiration in the fight. Uh, I think that was to reroll one of my saves. Um, and, um, when we were looking for this airship and not having success finding it, I asked Teddy, Hey, how big are the trees? How tall are the trees? Ended up, um, he figured out what I was doing before I got it out, but, uh, I wanted Harshnag to lift me and I should have specified lift someone with a with much better, um, investigation abilities uh, up above the uh, branches of the trees so they could see if there was any disturbance caused by something crashing through the canopy. And um, Teddy said it was a great idea, gave me an inspiration. So inspiration number three for the game I actually got to keep. (laughs) Uh, So, um, yeah, so we did find a... It wasn't me. Uh, who did the finding? Uh, Winifred. Winifred. Okay, so uh, Winifred got lifted above the the trees and found the uh, where the airship had crashed through. Uh, it's uh, many miles to the east, so that's where we are headed, and I guess that's why I thought we were uh, that we made everything big again but maybe it didn't get said and it's not done.
1: I didn't catch that, but also it was like towards the end of session. um, So I'm kind of like clocking out at this
0: point. Yeah. Uh, And I had to work. I had to work Monday. So uh, that was, let me tell you, that was rough. (laughs) Uh, We got done it for D and D at uh, 2200. I was in bed by twenty-two thirty and I got up at 0330. So yeah, I had less than five hours of sleep actually by the time that I was all tucked in and I was fine for the first half of the day. And then after I ate lunch, I'm like, I need a nap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. and my boss comes up to me and goes, You had D last night, didn't you? <laughs> <I'm> like, yes, <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh man. So um let's see. Um I think that's where we left things. We were headed for the wreckage. Yep. And that was that. So okay. Um so um it is once again time for the Toll the Dead report I actually tried to use it this session and it landed the only time that I tried to get it off it landed and even though I rolled a d12 I got 4 points of damage out of it but that's better than it not landing at all and that brought me to oh I need to take a look again Uh, I just shut the notes down and not sure why, because I wrote it in the notes so that I would be able to see. There we go. So, uh, one for one, that's 100% for the session. And uh, I am now nine for 26 overall, which makes it uh, roughly 34 almost 35%. And that is uh, the Toll the Dead report. And then you had uh also um uh, so Green Flame Blade, I think you said um um you said that you ended up trying to use it twice, is that right? Yep. And uh, you did. also did um Eldritch Blast during the session, right? Yep. So two
1: melees and arranged. Okay so for green flame blade um staying consistent one hit one miss we're still at 50 percent overall <laughs> and that's kind of how i feel about hitting acs is it's either you hit or you don't yep so that's very fitting um eldritch blast on the other hand much better um uh two one attack two beams one landed one missed we're at 15 hits six misses for eldritch blast Bringing it at a total to up one percent from last time uh, to seventy one percent.
0: Yeah, nice. That's pretty good hit percentage.
1: Yeah, I think I've been using Eldritch Blast on like either to finish off targets or very squishy low AC targets, um, mainly because it does a lot of damage and I can do it from one hundred and twenty feet away. So it's just like you over there, fuck you.
0: Yeah, that range is pretty incredible. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's no fireball damage, but <laughs> I can sit from afar and and uh, attack.
0: Um, all right, do we have anything else that we need to cover for the session?
1: Um, no, not necessarily. Um, it didn't come up in the recap, but there was a moment where. Tabine could have smited and didn't because I critted instead. And I thought the crit would kill, but I'm being, I'm noticing Tabine is being very, very stingy with her spell slots. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why I'm being stingy with my spell slots, mainly probably because I have so little. Sure. So what very little I have, I want to get the most out of it, but it has been a long time since she smoted anyone. And um, last night was a prime <laughs> example of there's no such thing as overkill, um, even if you crit. I should have smoted and, or smited um, and killed the crocodile um, that was attacking Winifred, but I didn't. Uh, lesson learned. Um, I do realize that I am multiclassed into a warlock, and I can regain two spell slots uh, at second level on a short rest. So I do realize I can get them back very quickly, but it's just, I don't, I don't know. I'm just being real stingy with them, man.
0: Well, um, it ended up not mattering. Um, although I would have positioned myself differently had you Mm -hmm. smote the crocodile, I probably would have gone after the shaman at that point.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like you said, in the end, it didn't matter, but the lack of um, damage, I'll just say. The lack of damage and foresight on Tabane's part for not killing the Croc then put you in a position to where you had to get Spirit Guardians in range of the Croc so Winifred wouldn't die. Um, so, you know, it 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 worked out in the end, but... I just, I have so little spell slots. They're precious to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, you were talking about not wanting to run a healer. Did you ever play the online game called City of Heroes? mm Man, that was a lot of fun. So uh, it's kind of like, uh, or like Asheron's Call or uh, EverQuest, that kind of thing. Um, all these uh, massively multiplayer online RPGs. Um, we, um, city of heroes was one of my favorites. You create a superhero instead of like a, you know, spellcaster or whatever. And, um, one of the classes that you could take was, uh, so there was like a tank and, um, there was like the up close specialists. Um, there was the blasters, uh, controllers and, um, Anyway, one of the, one of the classes, um, you could end up taking healing and that was all my characters in city of heroes ever did. I created a character named soothing radiance and she was on every server and, uh, I would just find, it was easy to find groups cause everybody wanted healers. So people would call out for groups. Hey, any healers? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll come run with you. And uh I got actually really, really good at healing in that game um letting groups uh punch well above their weight and um that was that was a lot of fun. I guess that carried over to d and d for me because before fifth edition uh, I mostly played mages of some kind or another, but uh since i've been playing fifth edition i've kind of been stuck on clerics yep. so um anyway that's that's that anything else we need to cover?
1: No, that, that was it. I just wanted to mention my, my lack of using spells.
0: Well, I mean, like you, like you said, you don't have that many. And are you going to be able to short rest on the boat while you're heaving?
1: Oh no, but you did remind
0: me you lost Uh, your patches.
1: Yes. (laughs) Uh, Shortly after the fight, Teddy called for someone to say high or low and let Tavane roll a dice roll. Uh, Winifred called high. Oh man! Sorry. I rolled a one. <laughs> so my year's supply worth of motion sickness patches are all gone, and we're only like a week into like a six-month journey.
0: <laughs> um. So
1: yeah, um, a lot of um, a lot of boat traveling is gonna be very rough.
0: It's Gilligan's Island. It's only supposed to be a three-hour tour. So, uh, yeah, that is going to be rough. Uh, maybe we can find some uh, herbal supplements for you as we go.
1: Honestly, uh, I know a workaround, and I can easily fix this. I just, I personally can't do it, and I'm not going to say it because I want Top and 8 to be a problem with our motion sickness. <laughs>
0: well, well, so but, far you're having great success.
1: <laughs> yes. If it becomes a super... Super hindrance. Um, I will do what I'm thinking as my workaround, and everything will be fine again. Uh,
0: all right, man, we're at an hour five. So we ready to call it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time out of your day and doing this when you're still not feeling the best. I'm not either, but you know, like I said, we get over it. So, um, until w- next week, um, Thanks again, and we'll talk to you later.